Hi, and welcome to Apple Jam, a place where my friend Neil McCutcheon and myself, Bernardo Morales, discuss Beatles and Beatle-related records. These conversations are hosted in Clubhouse, where we meet every two weeks to discuss an album. We'd like to invite you to join the Apple Jam Club in Clubhouse and to follow us on Instagram. Now, without any further ado, here's the episode. So, hi, Neil, um, and hello, everyone who might be coming later to today's um, Clubhouse meeting. Today, we're going to be talking about Tug of War, um, which is a Paul McCartney solo album released in 1982. Um, let me... So, Neil, how did you kind of come across this album? Um, well, uh, for me, it was... Um, I think my... Well, it was the first Paul McCartney... It was the second Paul McCartney album that came out while I was aware of him you know um because um mccartney too was the one that where i picked up on, on paul's career happening you know at the same time as i was alive and uh but you know mccartney too is very experimental and it's off the wall and it's it's you know a quirky album so this was the first kind of real uh paul mccartney album that came out with a little bit of a, a media fanfare and I, I think i picked up on it just um i mean he was a big star at that time and so there was little uh fanfare about that on on radio one and yeah that that's it and, and i just i just thought it was wonderful for the from the word go. I really loved it. I was fourteen. I loved it. How about you? Um, actually, this is one of the last albums that I that I discovered of Paul's um, because, as I mentioned in other episodes, um, I only had access to all the best. Um, and there was this um, radio show in Costa Rica called the Fab Four, where they played kind of Beatle related music, and it was really difficult to get um, to get a hold of these records. Yeah. Um, but I had, um, or give my regards to Broad Street, which had a few songs that were recorded during. <laughs> the so you started with the best. Yeah. So I started with, um, I think Ballroom Dancing was in, mm -hmm. in that album. Yes. Um, maybe, and Wanderlust. Okay. The two, the two songs that were in that record. So those were the, the first songs that I kind of heard from it. And then I listened to Tug of War, the, the title track, which I love. It's a brilliant track. Um, and, and then I actually bought the LP, which I had when I was a kid. Um, and, and now I have the Paul McCartney Archive Collection um, edition of this album, which is a two which has an extra CD with demos. Um, and I have to say, I, it's, it's really bad. I just bought on eBay. Um, I think it's a 1986 Japanese CD um, edition of the album, pre-barcodes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I had the I had the cassette, the original cassette, um, and the 1990 Paul McCartney collection one, whatever early 90s, and I've also got the 2015 reissue, yeah. and I found an LP copy of this absolutely in mint condition in Manchester when I was there for uh, uh, an English language teaching conference. So um, I picked that up as well. So I've owned four copies of this. <laughs> and do you still have the four copies? or? Um, I kind of update as I go along. So I've got, I've only got two right now. I've got the 2015 double cd which is beautiful i've got it right here in fact and i have that uh, original vinyl which i was really happy to find 
Okay, that's 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 nice. I've got it's an interesting album for me, as you were saying. Yes, it's it's a very interesting album in many ways. Um, I think it was a period where Paul was very prolific when it came to songwriting and recording. Mm-hmm. Um, these kind of three years from 1980 to 1983, he recorded loads of um, of songs. Um, yeah. It's also um, interesting because this was the album that he was recording when John Lennon was assassinated. Yes. Um, so it, it was a very sad period of his life. And, and, and you can see that reflected um, in, in, in the album. Yeah. Also interesting because he he got together again with George Martin. Um, I think he hadn't. Rec- I don't know. I might, be, I might be wrong about this, but um, he hadn't recorded with George Martin since Live and Let Die. That's right. Is that right? That's right. And and he presented a lot of the songs to George Martin as demos, mm-hmm. and George kind of sort of said, "Well, um, you know, you're going to have to give me some more quality before we actually go and work on this." So the the gestation gestation period was very long was for this album, you know, because they started working on it in 1980, and then they went to George Martin's uh, studios in Montserrat in 1981. Mm-hmm. In fact, Wings rehearsed some of the songs um, which ended up in this album. Um, I mm. think there is a recording somewhere online of um, of of Wings rehearsing some of the songs. It's not a very good recording. Rain Clouds was one of the songs that was rehearsed during. Yeah, and that was the one that they were recording um, when John Lennon was shot. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that that was that in London somewhere. Was that in Abbey Road? I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure whether it was at Abbey Road or Air Studios. I think George Martin had um, another studio in London. I'm not sure. That's where they infamously uh, caught Paul in the evening, you know, and, and and asked him about it. Yeah. Um, it's also, I think it's an interesting album also because he recorded a lot of the songs that also ended up featured in Pipes of Peace, which was also produced by George Martin. And which was going to be called Tug of War 2. Mm-hmm. And, um, and actually a lot of the songs that ended up in Pipes of Peace were recorded early on in the sessions. Um, so, so that's very interesting. Um, and then... Mm-hmm. Go on, keep going. No, no. no, I was just saying that also this was a time when Paul was collaborating with lots of artists. Um, so we can see that he collaborated with Stevie Wonder and, and with vocals and then also with Michael Jackson in Pipes of Peace. Um, although I'm not, we're not going to talk a lot about Pipes of Peace because that, that'll be in another... In another That's piece. right. And, and Ringo is on here and mm-hmm. Dave Mattox on drums and Steve Gadd on drums and, of course, Eric Stewart and Linda... So it's like it's a it's a, well. yep, and what you said to me earlier is it, it it's the last um, album with uh, Danny Lane. Mm-hmm. It's the last album with Danny Lane after more than ten years collaborating. Um, I think they started collaborating. Um, I think for Wine Life, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know whether Danny Lane played in Ram. Uh, yeah, and um, I mean one of the things to bear in mind with this album is that. Um, I mean, I guess wings were kind of hanging around and they were doing some rehearsals with uh, with some version of wings. And then um, apparently it wasn't going very well. And in October 1980, uh, Paul McCartney formally disbands wings. So he's now officially a solo artist. Um, I don't know if that is at the same time as they split with Denny Lane or not. Um, I don't know, because he still collaborated with Danny Lane until 1982. 
Um, okay, so because so Danny came over to Air Studios and uh, yeah, he came to Monster yeah, and, and worked on it. Yeah, which must have been a lovely a place. Apparently, very small, but you know, very beautiful and state of the art. And of course, digital studios. So I I don't know if this is the first. I'm gonna stick my neck out and say it's the first Paul McCartney album that was recorded digitally rather than analog. Yeah. There is also one more thing, and this is just my this is my opinion, but it's the last album where Paul sounds like Beatle Paul. Mm. Because he's got a young voice. Because he's got a young voice. Then from then on, um he just he started sounding like middle aged Paul. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> there are some moments in this album where the vocals just blast off. Oh, they're brilliant in, in, in some yeah, parts. Yeah, I, 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 I loved I loved them. Yeah. Yeah. Then the following album was Pipes of Peace, which he started sounding for some, even though some of the songs were recording at the same time, he does sound a little bit older. Um, or maybe it's because the production of the album may, might sound a little bit more 80s and then Talk of War. Um, and then you have Press to Play, which I think was released in 86. Um, yeah. Yeah, his voice is, is absolutely fantastic on this album. Um, he's he's really doing the vocals really carefully, I think, in, in all sorts of different styles. Um, and the album was very successful. It was number one in, in, in um, well, definitely in the UK and the US and seven, for seven weeks in the US. And Ebony and Ivory was the single before the album, and that was number one in many, many countries. Mm-hmm. And Rolling Stone said that um, it was really one of the best Paul McCartney albums. They said it was a masterpiece. Everyone has always known Paul McCartney would make. Um, you know, they compared it to Band on the Run, but it said only Band on the Run comes close to touching this one in the richness of its style and the consistency of its songs. So, uh, you know, with five stars from Rolling Stone, and um, obviously it's a very accomplished album, it's very strange. And, and I just have to ask you about this. This came up on. Um, the egg pod when um, Andy McKay was talking about this album. Why is it that Paul has rarely, if ever, played these songs live? I mean, he's played. He played. He's played here today. Yeah, we I don't know which other he ones he's played, played live. live. But I had a look at um, you know, take it away, and you know, he's never played that live, and that was the second single. You know, does he not like the album? I wonder. Um, he played Ebony and Ivory, um, I think, in the two- mm-hmm. 1989. Oh, right. Um, I don't think he's played Tug of War live, has he? No, I don't think he ever has, yeah. And that's a brilliant song. It's a brilliant opener. Yeah, it is, it is. But he didn't play live for a long time. Um, in, of course. In the kind of early to mid-80s. I think the only kind of live performance he did was in 86, which was the um, Live Aid um, yeah, so maybe that's the reason, you know, because he didn't tour with the album. But, you know, for an album which has some very strong songs on it, um, I'm, I'm surprised that he neglected it quite as much. I'm surprised he didn't tour. Uh, maybe it was because he was scared about kind of going on the road after what happened to John Lennon. Um, maybe. During those kind of five years, none of the Beatles were really in the limelight. Um, Before we get onto the music, do you like the cover as well? 
because uh, I kind of it's a great photo. Yeah. And, and, and it's a lovely photo, and it's a design by I think it's a design by Hypnosis again, who did mm-hmm. uh, so many of those Wings covers. Yeah. Um, in the seventies, and it's just, I think it's a great design. It's it's, it's clever. I mean, it, the the kind of red versus blue and the stereo spectrum. Yeah, very nice. It's lovely <laughs> and very memorable as well. Yeah. Um, so, which song would you like to start with? Well, I would like to start with "Tug of War," um, the the lead track. This this is one of my all time favorite. Um, Paul McCartney songs. I think it's. I think it's superb. I like the fact that it um, uh, starts with sound effects. That's nice. That sounded great on my stereo headphones when I was fourteen. I loved the listening to the tug of war. Um, I think the melody on the verse there is is just beautiful. It's a nice little conceit, you know, that a relationship can be uh, tug of war. Um, the way that the orchestration moves and the way that the song moves and builds, um, you know, it builds and builds into a, you know, a, a, a great climax. Um, it's just, I mean, this, this is as good as a Beatles song. This could come off a Beatles album. I think it's superb. Uh, yeah. I, I, it sounds like it was written fairly effortlessly as well, but it has nice little, you know, rhythmic variations. And I like the way that I, I love the the orchestra sort of bring it to an end as well. So uh, just um, superb, uh, a perfect track. What do you think? Do you like this one? I love this song. Um, the first time I ever heard it um, was with my copy of Wingspan. Um, okay. Kind of a greatest hit album uh, released in 2000. So that version didn't have the sound effects at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that that song had sound effects until um, until I got my copy of the album, and um, and I thought that it made the song so much better. It was very similar to "Listen to What the Man Said." Um, you know, on Venus and Mars, there is like a little introduction, um, and in this album, they cut it. I don't know why they do that sometimes with these greatest hits albums. But um, ah, now I don't have Venus and Mars, so I've never heard that. So that's that's a treat lying in store for me. All right. Um, I've I've only got uh, listen to what the man said on uh, wingspan. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I really like that part. Um. Kind of the the, the middle of the song in years to come. They may yes. discover. Um. It's it's so energetic, and then you have the violins coming in with the, in another world. So it's it's just brilliant. Can you play that part? Yes, of course. Um. Just one second. It's. <laughs> Put the volume down just like in years to come. That's it. They may discover what the air we breathe and the life we lead are all about. But it won't be soon enough. Soon enough for me. No, it won't be soon. Yeah. 
and then this staccato kind of da, 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 a little um i think it's brass that comes in then it's a, it's just a superb arrangement by george martin yeah and i think the drummer the guy who plays the drum at the end um comes from the is it campbelltown the town in scotland oh really okay oh i didn't realize that yeah, because it's, it's got a little bit of a sort of military tattoo type of drumming that comes in the Scottish uh, pipe band sort of drumming. Yeah, it's here. It's, I think it's this bit. Let me just replay it one second. Here. Yeah. Oh, Bernardo, keep the volume a little bit lower because I think it's uh, it's um, driving the. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's this bit. So, yeah, so that's yes, lovely, yeah, Scottish pipe band drumming. Yeah, so, I mean, this is um, a perfect Paul McCartney track. Yeah, yeah, and it's so Paul McCartney as well that you have, um, like, it's, it's, it's a nice pop song, but with a very strange kind of construction. Yes, and it's got, it's got, it's got Linda and Danny on there. I guess that's Danny on those kind of banks of electric guitars. Yeah. And and the, the mystery for me is why this wasn't the first single. Yeah, same. And interestingly enough as well, it was recorded very early on in the sessions. So when, when Paul McCartney and, and George Martin got together, the first song they recorded was We All Stand Together, um, which is a song that some people okay, like. Okay, I didn't realize. Then Ode to a Koala Bear, and then the third song was Tug of War. They recorded the intro, and that was two days before John Lennon was shot. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And then they were recording raindrops on the day that he was shot, as we said. And I haven't heard raindrops since I got this CD. So I have to go back and listen to that one. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a single, right? I think it was the B side to Ebony and Ivory, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure whether it's 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 got it's down here as a McCartney composition, but I think it might be McCartney and Lane, but I'm not sure. Yeah, because I think he was heavily involved with making that song. Yeah. So so yeah, excellent song, Tug of War. Great way to start an album. If you when you put the album on, I mean, it starts from one of the best songs, so it's brilliant. Yeah, and also let's not forget how it segues into. Um, the second track, so you know that little Beatle trick of um, having the first two songs segueing into each other. Mm -hmm. and What's next? Is take it away. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah. That's. I have to say, it's it's a great song. Yeah, I can see mm -hmm. why a lot of people would like it. It's not my favorite song on the album. I have to say. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, I think it's all right. First time I ever heard that song again was from that um, compilation Wingspan, which meant okay. as well that it didn't have that transition from tug of war to, um, to yeah. Away. yeah. Um, I, th the video is, is really interesting, um, uh, cause it's one of the first ever like kind of professionally made videos. Mm -hmm. Um, and Ringo is in it. Um, George Martin is in it. Steve Gadd plays the drums. Is that right? Yes, uh, Steve Gadd, famous um, session drummer who worked with Paul Simon and Eric Clapton and Joe Cocker and lots and lots of people. Yeah. So he and Ringo are drumming together there. Yeah. And and John Hurt, famously in the video as well, the actor. Yeah. Yeah, he plays the part of um, 
of the kind of of the manager, right? Of like the brand. Maybe the, the important impresario. Yeah. yeah, I I I like the song, but the same as you said, it's not um, it's not my absolute favorite. Um, but uh, I think you know Paul liked it and uh, you know made it into a single. Although there are lots of other candidates here for uh, singles, I like the idea. You know that the band needs to you know get people's attention, and it's got some nice lyrical moments like the. The wilted flowers fade in the jar. Very nice uh, little touches there. Um, the drumming is great. Uh, the, the double drum sound is very nice. It gives it a very precise sort of uh, beat when it if, when it first comes in, and um, it's a good sound o- overall. If you don't mind white people making reggae, you know, there's the offbeat kind of reggae-ish thing. Yeah, I was just going to say um, that. And actually, yeah. I feel it's a shame that it loses that and it turns into a normal kind of pop song after. Because I, I, uh-huh. I don't mind white people uh, playing reggae. And I actually like it when Paul plays kind of his reggae bits. Um, yeah. Some of the yeah, it works on this. Yeah, it works on this. And, and the, the drumming is so good that I, I just wish it had been like that all the way through. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you heard any other kind of Paul attempts at, at um, reggae? Well, the uh, the one that springs to mind is um, uh, Rough Ride. Rough Ride. There's two and Seamoon. Seamoon, of course, which is I, which I love. Yeah, yeah, that's a great song. There was another one actually. He, there's a demo, and it's called Moon Over Jamaica, which I think he wrote with Johnny Cash in, in Jamaica. Um, wow! No, I don't know that one. You you never heard it. Um, nope. it, I think it started as a kind of a reggae song, but then they recorded a version together and it's more kind of Johnny Cash style. But let me see if I cool. can find it. It's called New Moon Over Jamaica. Let me see. Here it is. Reggae song, Jamaica. Version from creation. All right, all right. Rock the moon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. Cultural appropriation. Yeah, I don't think you could get away with that these days. Yeah, it's a shame in a way. The, the, but the you're right, the climate has changed somewhat. Don't you come back. <laughs> don't you come back. Hey, holy man. What? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> do, you th- do you think um, that you could get away with ebony and ivory these days, or do you think it would sound naive? I don't know. A lot of people don't like ebony and ivory. I don't know where you stand on it. Let's let's talk about ebony and ivory. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, like I have to say, ivory, um, I, say. I, I I have always quite liked it, but um, right now I'm I've just moved into a halls of residence because I'm about to start a course in Portsmouth. And I was just playing it because I was playing the album and I thought, well, you know, nobody really will know this album so I can get away with it. But when Ebony and Ivory came on, I just felt that, you know, a little bit embarrassed. And I wonder if anyone was going to sort of knock on my door and tell me to put it off. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think it's a good song. Um, I like I mean, it too. The, um, but it comes from a, the song a different the age. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You can tell it's, 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 it sounds a bit dated now, and the concept of the song might be a little bit dated now as well. Um, so, yeah, it might sound a little bit naive. 
but I love the production. I lo- I really like um, uh, the melody. Yeah, I, I like how um, the collaboration as well. So I think um, Stevie Wonder does great. Um, sings great in this. In yes, he plays the drums. I think. Oh, really? Stevie plays the drums. Okay. Yep. Um, there is a very famous story as well about um, Paul not being, as Stevie said, in the pocket uh, when he was doing the hand claps. Um, have you ever heard about it? No, tell me. Go on. Actually, I'll I'll let you Paul tell it. I've got it here ready. Okay. And I knew Stevie a little bit, and I asked him if he wanted to come out to Montserrat, where I was going to be recording with George Martin. At first, he was a little bit, uh, you know, unsure. He had things to do. I eventually sort of said, come on, man, come out for a few days' holiday. It's beautiful out here. He plays drums on it. He plays the keyboard, riffs, and, you know, he's a great person to work with because he's a musical monster. He really keeps you on your toes. And we were doing the claps on this... I mean, Stevie is so spot on with everything. He's just a musical genius. And I was obviously a tiny fraction out, but I didn't, it wasn't bothering me. But he said, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. He said, you're not in the party, man. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, let's try that again. And you better believe I got in the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul's rhythm was out. Yes, he was a little bit out. There's a very there's a famous story as well that um, they invited Stevie for lunch and he didn't show up until like ten o'clock in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, I I like I like the little uh, conceit about um, you know Ebony and Ivory and then the the keyboard. Apparently, it was uh, after a marital tiff with mm-hmm. Linda. Um, and Paul just thought, you know, why, why can't we just get it together? And the song came out of that. And, that, you know, I think that's a neat little idea for a, for a rock song, for a pop song. Yeah. But I still think that he gets a lot of stick for this song, um, and, and he shouldn't. I think it's a, it's, it's a really good pop song. It was not and it's, it's very well-intentioned, isn't it? The message is good, and it's a message of love and peace and all that. Uh, I, I, I'm, yeah. I mean, and, and let's remember, like, Stevie Wonder at that point was... I mean, I mean, he'd come off his peak period, but through the 70s, he was producing genius album after genius album. Mm. I mean, he had three or four in a row, Inner Visions, Talking Book, um, Songs in the Key of Life, and there, there's, there's a think, fourth. Yeah, I think that was the album, Songs in the Key of Life. Was that the album that won yeah. album of the year, the, the year that Band on the Run was nominated for as well? Um, I don't know, and that's definitely the album with "Isn't She Lovely" on it, and and you know, so he came out with four at least um, genius albums in a row, you know. So like the, he was kind of replicating um, what the Beatles did. So he was right up there with like Paul, um, Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin in the rock world. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you know, uh, Paul was working with a really top person there. I mean, maybe people think that the message is is sort of naive or something, but um, you know, I think it's a great song altogether. It's good songwriting. I love that little guitar part at the end. Yeah, there's nothing I don't like about it, but maybe 
when you have a message like that, maybe it's easy for people to say that it's cheesy. Yeah, and also, I mean, well, you like it, but it's a bit of a guilty pleasure, I guess, if, if you felt as you felt. <laughs> it's one I might put on headphones. Have <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you seen the video? I think the video is very interesting as well. Apparently, they were in different places in the world yes. when they recorded it. Yeah, I, I, it was the first video where I felt that Paul looked a bit old because he had like two, two sort of um, wrinkles behind his eyes, you know, just little wrinkles. We all get get them, but I mean, until then, I thought he was kind of a young guy, and here I could really see that he was, uh, you know, over forty. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I said, it's it's one of the last albums where he sounds like young Paul. So yeah, but then I mean that's not that that isn't a bad thing. I think that there there, there is something to be said about um, his voice even today. I mean there are some songs which are very where his singing is still very strong and where I think the features of his voice um, work really well with the songs. So yeah, um, he tries to he tries to fit in the songs with what you know what he can do, you know vocally. Yeah, he's quite clever like that. Maybe What's the next? reasons why he doesn't play oh. any of these songs as well, because they're hard to sing. That's right, I didn't think about that one. Some of them really are, they really soar, don't they? Yeah, he did a version of Ebony and Ivory um, not very long ago when he was when he got the the this award from, from Barack Obama. And he did a concert yeah. in, at, at the White House. I don't know if you saw it. Um, no. And, and they did a version of Ebony and Ivory. Maybe I can find it, let me see. Um, and it doesn't sound like his voice is not at its best. Okay. And, um, let me see. Yes, it's here. I'll play it. I'll play a bit of it. Okay. It's not too bad. No, it's not too bad. <laughs> Is that Stevie Wonder duet anyway? Yes, that Wow. Well, it's cool that he played it at the White House. That people are the same wherever you go. So, yeah. So, I'll pass you the link. It's, it's, it's a good concert. Yeah, good. So, I'm glad he played it with Obama there. What's your next choice? I think it, uh, that concert was a year after oh. we saw him live in London. Ah, okay, so 2011. Yeah, well, it must have been 2011. Um, next song, um, since we're talking about Stevie Wonder, how about um, What's That You're Doing? What's That You're Doing? What do you think of that one? Um, I don't like it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? You don't like it? Okay. Um, it's not my favorite song on, on the album. Um, it, it, I just know, well, I think I would like the song. Um, I was listening to another podcast called the Paul McCartney archive podcast. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the, of the, of the hosts of that show said that that song would be perfect if it was the B side to Ebony and Ivory, but that, um, it doesn't really belong in this album. And I kind of agree with that. Um, I think that mm -hmm. the, 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 yeah, it's, it's completely different to the rest of the theme of the album. It's more of a Stevie track than a Paul track. Yes, um, from the production to to the, the way the the recording was approached, 
Um, and and yeah, and I kind of agree with him. It would be great as the B side to Ebony and Ivory, but um, but it's not my it's not my favorite on the album. Yeah, I think I, I I know what you mean. Um, and I've I've always liked the I've always liked it just because it's so funky. And I didn't realize until I was doing the research for this um, episode that Paul does the drums. I didn't oh, know that. Really? Yeah, and then so when the, when when it's uh, building up, like three quarters of the way through, it builds up, and there's this tremendous drum fill, like. And that's Paul. And it just sounds so like a professional drummer. I mean, I guess he is a professional drummer, but, but this is one of his, this is like, um, at that point, it's like back in the USSR, it's just like one of his very best drum moments. And the instrumental break is good when it sort of opens out and becomes, you know, quite spacey for a while. So, you know, the, what's good about it is it's a bit kind of um, improvised and it's a bit sort of jammed because, you know, Paul, he can be a bit of a control freak, I think, and not allow sponta- spontaneity to arise. And, and on this track, there's plenty of spontaneity, including on the vocals, uh, which I like. Yeah, I mean, I, I do like that. I mean, you can feel that in in the track. Um, you can feel they're having fun, and 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 yeah, it's it's it, it it sounds like it's a fun track to them. But I just don't, I just don't feel like it really belongs in in, in this particular album. I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I, I I only listen to this song when I'm when I'm actually listening to the whole album. When I'm making an effort to listen to the whole album, or when I listen yeah. to the LP and and I can't be bothered to skip a track. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that bad really it's skippable i i tend to skip it yeah um yeah. but i can see and then stevie does he go she loves you yeah 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 the end uh stevie says uh we love you yeah 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 we love you so it's a bit like it's a little bit like the all you need is love mm-hmm. echo towards the end yeah um one thing uh just um it reminded me of uh, a friend of mine called uh, James who who said to me, um, you know, he said to me, you know, Paul McCartney, I think he was listening to Ooh You or something like that. And he was just saying, look, Paul really has really, he was an American guy. And he says, uh, he said, Paul's really, really got the funk, you know, that he, he just loves to be funky, but it's very hard for him to do it in an unrestrained way. Um, so this is one of the tracks uh, where he just, kind of let's rip in a way because he's competing with stevie i think you know yeah 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 and 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 there is another track which is unrelated to this album completely where he plays the drums and i thought like he played so well um have you heard the unplugged the paul mccartney unplugged album from the um, from the early 90s okay um there is this song uh Ain't no sunshine. There's a, the, the cover version. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's on the unplugged album. Yes. Yeah, and he plays the drums, and they sound so funky. And I, I didn't say that. I didn't know that he was the one who played them until I watched the. Yeah. Well, Paul's got the funk. He just doesn't let. He just doesn't let himself express it enough. Yeah, for sure. He's a great drummer. Well, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. He's always been a great drummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next. Um, um, the next one. Can I do the pound is sinking? Sure. Yep. Right. Uh, this this is a fantastic song. Um, 
I I like this because it's a kind of it's a combination of two or three song ideas mm -hmm. uh, in the best tradition of Paul McCartney. So, um, you know, it's not just a verse and a chorus. Um, it's a kind of little um, look at the world of stocks and shares. And I just love how Paul gets into his voice, you know, his character, like your father was an extraordinary man, but you don't seem to have inherited many of his mannerisms. Absolutely fantastic. In a kind of um, voice, yeah. Yes. And when I was researching this song, I found that Stanley Clark plays the bass, and he's just known as a, I mean, I can't, for, to begin with, I can't believe that Paul is letting anybody else play the bass. And Stanley Clark is just known as a, a really good session bassist. I mean, he's really musical, uh, like Paul, and I had no idea that he plays the bass uh, on this song. Yeah, and I think, was it in Eggpot or in, in another podcast? that someone criticized that, um, saying that maybe he should have been given a funkier song to play the bass for. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe. But um, it makes me want to go back and just listen to the bass line because I've always liked Stanley Clark when I've heard him. One thing about this song, I mean, uh, to me it's probably the, I'll say the second best track after Tug of War, but tucking it away on side two and not even the opening song on side two. Do you remember when there were records and there was such a thing as side two? Yeah. Uh, I think sticking this away in the middle of side two is, I mean, the middle of side two is where you put songs that you sort of don't really care about. Um, it, you know, it's kind of the worst position on the album, maybe. And um, I think it just says something about the embarrassment of riches that Paul had at this time. Like what you said at the beginning, he was, you know, very prolific. Mm -hmm. So a song like this wasn't the opening track and it wasn't even the opening track on side two. Yeah, but then he opened side two with ballroom dancing. Yeah, which we'll come to in a minute. Which we'll come to in a minute. Uh, in a minute. And um, and then it was the pounding sinking. So I don't know. I mean, I do feel... That's the thing with the Beatles um, in general. They're such good songwriters that they can put a song like the pounding sinking, not opening the record or opening side two. Yeah. Because uh, so um, this, songs. That's what, you know? this song is also, you know, very historic historical or or um you know should i say medieval uh you know at the um at the moment because all those currencies that have been lost and the, it's uh, everyone's got the euro now so these things like the franc and the mark and the lira um yeah they've gone i know it's peso peso still exists i think it's it exists but the drachma has gone yeah yeah it's crazy can you play this um We've been talking about um, Paul's voice, and the last time we heard his young Paul voice, can you could you find this bit towards the end where he sings, "Oh, it didn't happen," because he really soars at that point. Yeah, one second. It's not here, it's, it's more towards... Just there. back a minute yeah. from that. Yeah, here it comes after this. Oh, sorry. Yeah, there you go. Is the volume okay? 
Ja, fucking skidt. Yes, fantastic, fantastic uh, to come up with something like that. And it only comes in once and it doesn't outstay its welcome. Yeah, um, I love the demo as well. I'm going to play a um, few seconds of it. Okay. The ground is sinking. Pesos falling, the lira's reeling and feeling quite appalling. What I found very interesting with these demos is that um, the songs were nearly completed when he brought them to the studio. Yes. Um, So it wasn't one of these albums that he actually wrote in the studio. Yeah, I think that was because the, of the pressure from George Martin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, who'd That's said to, who'd yeah. said to him, you know, bring me, you know, bring me a bunch of good songs. Here's a, here's a quotation from George as well. If it's really going to work out, you're going to have to accept some stick from me, and you may not like it because you've been your own boss for so long. So I think Paul felt like he really had to bring along some good material. You know, <laughs> yeah, he's not the best at um, taking criticism, uh, Paul, or at least that's what I've read. Uh, oh, let's t- tell me the story because I hadn't heard it before. Tell me the story of um, somebody who cares um, and Danny Lane. Yes, um, well, I, I love that song. First of all, um, somebody. Who okay, cares. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like this song and might think it's a little bit cheesy, but I really like this kind of like. Um, these love songs that, that Paul writes. I guess the only yeah. kind of little bit I don't like is is the line about the wheels of the car, or perhaps it's a little bit far-fetched. Um, oh, I quite like you know, that. You, you like that line? <laughs> I quite like that line, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but other than that, I love the guitar work. It sounds great. Um, yes. I think Danny Lane plays uh, synth guitar on, on, on that song. Yeah, the, the lead guitar is is fantastic and and i looked it up and it said um spanish guitar on that song but it sounds like a steel strung guitar if it's a spanish guitar they've they've processed it in some way because it just doesn't sound like a nylon strung guitar but the, the solo is fantastic and i can't believe that paul did it surely it's got to be denny lane playing that yeah um and that's the last song that denny lane collaborated with paul um because because apparently he criticized a bit of the lyric um, and they had a fallout after that. I wonder if it was the bit about the wheels of the car. <laughs> I wonder if it was that. I wonder if, they, if that was the line that Danny Lane suggested. It's not, it's not the strongest lyric ever. You know, I think maybe you know, people might think it was a bit, bit trite. But you know, what amused me about that is Paul's always saying, oh, you know, I could do with a foil. It's always good to have. You know, and John would always say, you know, this, this wasn't up to it and all, and all that. And, I, and he'd, you know, so he'd have to trim stuff. And then when somebody actually does it, but it's not John, um, <laughs> then they have a fallout that lasts forever 
<laughs> yeah, that's and, and that's something that I mean I don't know whether that's the real story. Um, of the, like the reason it's a, it's a funny story if it is. If it is a funny story, yeah. And you can also feel that their their musical relationship had run its course, and and that it's it, yeah that they've done what they had to do, and, and wings. Were- Maybe, but on this album, Denny is on a lot of the tracks and um, very successfully. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he does backing vocals, and it's good. And it's very strange because he does backing vocals, but it doesn't sound like a Wings album. Um, no. Like if you listen to London Town, for example, where you can kind of hear a lot of Danny or, or Man on the Run. Yeah, um, I think that's because Paul's producing sound. it. Yeah, so I mean, because Paul would be... Danny and Linda sound in the backing vocals, mm-hmm. which I really like. I'm, uh, I, I really like those two, the, the, that sound from those two albums. But you can't really see it here. So, like, I didn't know Danny Lane was in this album and still, until I started kind of reading the liner notes. of. of, of I, yeah. I heard it. I, I didn't know he was in it. Yeah. You can hear the, there are some moments on this with Denny and Linda, um, like, you know, pushing, pulling, things like that. There are some little moments. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, those two moments. Yeah. Um, mm. but, but, yeah, um, it's a shame because I, I think that they, they, they could have done more, they could have recorded a little bit more. Um, I don't know whether Denny Lane is in Pipes of Peace, actually. I don't know if he collaborated at all on any of those songs. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, but I, I do feel that something else must have happened. I don't think that they stopped um, collaborating with each other just because of one comment during a recording. <laughs> well, let's hope. Let's let, uh, let's hope so. I hope not. Um, what do you think of Get It? Which um, so Get It, uh, of course, was the collaboration with Carl Perkins, who's an old school rocker did he do uh, blue suede shoes yes he recorded that carl perkins right so this is one of paul's absolute heroes mm-hmm. and um and they, so they get to do this little rock and roll pastiche together do you like it i love that song um actually mm. when i was learning how to play guitar i learned b7 because of this song oh and and that's a great chord to learn. <laughs> that's a great chord to know. <laughs> I like I like Paul's um, rock and roll pastiches. I was think trying to think of others. Uh, you know, I I think my favorite one is Name and Address, and then on McCartney too. Uh, there's uh, Nobody Knows. Um, you know, he he he's done quite a few of these, and uh, this is great. It's so minimal. Like this, so the, you know, the instrumentation is very. Um, very minimal. There's a little bit of synthesizer on it, but it's mostly just a bass and a little bit of guitar, a little bit of percussion, and and uh, you know it works so well. This is one of the songs I sing to myself on a regular basis. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a great song. I really like it. They recorded another song together called "My Old Friend." Um, the day after they recorded "Get It," so they actually wrote that they recorded two songs, and I think that song is featured on one of Carl Perkins's albums. Um, so, so that's an okay. Um, and of course, at the end, uh, Carl Perkins laughs and laughs um, at a joke. And Paul always used to say, "Well, you know, it's a bit of a, a dirty joke, so I had to cut the joke out, but I le- left the laughing in." Um, and uh, you know, I, I I loved that laughing. And while I was researching this, I I, I found out what the joke was. What was it? 
well, it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just got a bad word in it. That's all. So apparently they were out on this, uh, well, of course they were in Montserrat and there was a friend who invited them out to their boat. Um, and while they were having this buffet on the boat, Carl was really impressed with that, the buffet and the champagne and everything. And, um, said to Paul, Paul, where I come from, they call this shitting in high cotton. <laughs> now, I guess that, that's what it was. And, you know, um, I guess Paul reminded him of that in the studio, and off they went. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's really funny, actually. Oh, man, yeah. he's going to left the actual joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I would have sold um, so few I, albums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love the way, so there's that raucous laugh, Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of fades into this little link song, this uh, vocoder song, Be What You See. Yeah. And and that's just, uh, I think that's superb. I Well, one of the Brilliant. things, that I like Paul's link songs. So he's got very many little, um, they, they're either links or they're kind of codas or um, intros to songs, just sort of uh, just a few seconds of something completely different. You know, can you take me back where I came from? Can you take me back? That kind of thing. And this is one of those, and I think it's really good. I don't normally like vocoders at all, but I think it works here. Um, Paul said, um, the idea originally was that I wanted a few moments on the album where, like on a Pink Floyd album, you'd get a sound developing into another sound, and I like that kind of thing. I think more importantly, um, like I said before, I didn't particularly like the the other Stevie Wonder song because I, I felt like it didn't belong in the mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like this this kind of transitional track is the perfect way to go from get it to um, what's that you're doing because it you have a very kind of old fashioned rock and roll, um, then you have this little link that goes into a kind of more modern sound, and then you go into yeah. a song that is uh, except isn't it isn't it dress me up as a robber that comes next. Oh, sorry. Yeah, dress me up as a robber. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it is it is a perfect link. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's it's a perfect link because it links the two styles very well. I think. And I seem to remember that you don't like dress me up as a robber, or am I wrong? Um, you're not wrong. I didn't used to like dress me up as a robber. Um, but uh-huh. you no, know, during this week I've been listening to it and really enjoying it for some reason. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's a great little song. Um, it's, uh, it's completely, the, the lyrics are sort of really whimsical sort of, but I think, I don't think they're about anything. Um, it strikes me like sort of coming from the same place as, as coming up, um, you know, very funky, uh, but with some nice production, a little bit jazzier. Yeah, a little bit jazzier, but I can see why you would compare it to coming up because of the, the electric guitar, the kind of little funky a short line that that goes all through the song. Um, so there's, I like his falsetto as well. Mm-hmm. I like his yes. voice very much here. And again, I, I mentioned again the fact that he sounds like still like young Paul um, with his falsetto voice. Um, yeah, and and just the falsetto and that and that funky guitar. I think it sounds really good. I didn't, as I said before, I didn't, I didn't used to like this song very much, and I kind of like it a lot now. I really like the, I really like where it fades out and kind of builds up again and the drums pick up. 
um, sort of two-thirds of the way through. It's got a really good uh, solo. I'm not sure if it's Paul or Denny. Uh, the kind of, uh, it's, again, it's a kind of acoustic solo on this, really fast. Yeah. Can you play that? Can you play the solo? Um, let me see one second. I've got the probably about halfway through. Yeah, I've got the demos album out, so let's just just give me one second. Uh, You've got all your fans there. I can hear them. <laughs> yeah, it's the neighbors. Just one sec. <laughs> Here we go. Sounds so funky, doesn't it? There's the middle bit. And here's where it builds up. That sounds very jazzy slash bossa nova as well. Yeah, yeah. Does it sound very 80s to you? Perhaps, but but in a good way. Yeah. Not a kind of bad way, 80s. But yes, it's, it's, it's a great song. What I really liked about um, kind of rediscovering this song this week is that it felt like, like, like getting a new Paul song first. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you didn't know it so well the first time. Yeah, and now because I've been kind of listening yeah. to it all the way through and really enjoying it, it just feels as if it was a new song. Yeah, that I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a sounds like a sort of effortless song that was sort of um, dashed off in the writing, but it's just a, a, a lovely piece, yeah. I think. And I think before we finish, we need to come to well, we definitely need to talk about uh, ballroom dancing. We need to talk about ballroom dancing. Yes, it's, it's one of my favorite. I, I love that. Yeah, tell me tell me what you think of it. I just think it's such a it's such a happy song. You know, um, it's um, I love the piano playing. I love the instrumentation. I think Paul plays all the instruments on on, on that song. Um, wow, I'm mistaken. But okay. I think it's it's a it's a song that could have been on kind of McCartney two or or McCartney one. You know, where he plays everything. Um, I love how he treats the subject of ballroom dancing as well. Um, I don't know why he would have touched that subject, but I don't know whether he used to go to lots of ballroom dancings when he was a kid. Um, but but yeah, it's a brilliant song. So happy. I think so. People would have gone along to those dances in the 50s. Um, yeah, Paul plays piano, drums, bass, electric guitar, percussion, vocals and backing vocals. Yep. So, and it uh, doesn't sound well, as if it was, it was one person playing all the instruments. It sounds like a band, like a cohesive band. Oh, Bernard, you just dropped out for a second. Sorry, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That it, it sounds like a cohesive band, even though it was only Paul playing all the instruments. Um, it's got a few other people on it. Oh, it does? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a few other people playing, uh, including um, the clarinet Glissando, right, which is absolutely fantastic. And I looked up the clarinetist, and, and Wikipedia said he was the leading clarinetist of his generation, perhaps of the century. Wow. So, yeah, 
And I, 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 that's a really inspired moment that I mean, it compares with the, you know, the piccolo trumpet on, on Penny Lane or something. It just comes at the right part of the song and it just kind of blasts off. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean, yes. Yeah. There is so, something I always wondered. I was telling you before that I kind of discovered, um, give my regards to Broad Street before, um, before Tug of War. And I yes. wonder why he would re-record this song um, for, for Broad Street. I don't know because yeah, I mean, it's a perfect recording, you know, of that song. So that I, you know, I don't. There's no need to be recorded. You couldn't better it. Yeah, you couldn't better it, and it was also so close in time. Like I can see why he would have recorded some of the Beatles songs that he recorded for that movie because they'd been recorded. Yeah, and maybe something like "So Bad," the song called "So Bad," because he thought maybe he could do a better version of that or something. Which, but which this is one, because I do think that perhaps the version on Broad Street is a little bit better than the one on the album. Mm. Um, but um, but I don't think the same about the songs from Tug of War that that um, ended up in in Broad Street. Yeah, um, but but yeah, it's, it's a brilliant song. I love um, ballroom dancing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like also the um, he's on kind of top whimsical lyrical form here, right? So sailing down the Nile in a China cup, I like that. At the time of Davy Crockett, I like that. It's it's uh, it's all coming very natural to him. The sort of uh, nonsense lyrics. I feel like later in his life he did this more, or he he does it now more self consciously. Um, but at the time, I think that was just um, came easily. The lyrics came easily. You can see that this song just tumbled out. Yeah, but um, do you know what Big BD is? Is it ballroom dancing? Well, that's a problem. I think that's a <laughs> the, that's a forced rhyme. <laughs> that's all that is. <laughs> I think it's just like I need something to rhyme with. Yeah, and uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, but good song. And I guess the last song we should talk about is here today. Oh, we've forgotten here today, right? Yeah, you, well, lead off on that one because that's that, that's the the only one he still plays from this album. Is the only one he still plays for for this album is the song that he played um, as a tribute to John Lennon. Um, mm-hmm. It was written two years after he, about two years after he had passed away. So obviously, yep. he didn't feel forced to write the song um, right after it happened. Um, it. I think it's a really nice song. A lot of people say that this song is kind of sim- very similar to Yesterday because it's got the acoustic guitar. and, and Yes, the same string arrangement. And Paul's often yeah. said that he felt a bit guilty using it and then he thought, well, why not? Well, I, I kind of agree. Why not? It sounds really good. I think the arrangement is, is, is beautiful and his voice there is beautiful as well. I, I think it's a, it's a very good um, tribute to John Lennon. I think it's a, it's, it's a very beautiful song. Um, yeah, as, as you mentioned, is is one of the ones that he he still plays today. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. you can feel he chokes up when he sings the song. Um, yes, with, he does. He does, doesn't he? Um, there is a version from the Amoeba concert CD. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've got the bit here ready where you can you can you can see that he was choking up a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll play that bit. What about the night we cried? Because there wasn't any reason left to keep it all inside. We never understood a word But you were always there With a smile And if I say Wow I loved you and was glad you came along Then you were here today 
Version. Well, it's not often that you hear uh, Paul sort of losing his composure like that. Yeah. Interesting. You, um, this um, What About the Night We Cried was uh, apparently the Beatles were down at Key West um, in 64 or 65, and Paul said, we got so pissed that we ended up crying about, you know, how wonderful we were and how much we loved each other, even though we'd never said anything. You never say anything like that, especially if you're a northern man. So this is when they kind of opened up, John and Paul, and said that they loved each other, which is, yeah, I mean, uh, for men of that generation, not really something you can say. Um, so interesting that he reflected on that in this song. And, and one of the best things I like for being a very sentimental songwriter, um, this song stops short of being mawkish. I think it's just, it's really genuine, it's really straight, and uh, and, and so it's a good tribute that um, John would have liked. Mm-hmm. I think so. Do you like it? Um, <laughs> it's not my favourite because um, it's. I don't think the melody is strong enough. I think he could have worked harder on that melody. I mean, I appreciate the significance of the song, and I like you know the significance in Paul's story, but that's the that's the one I would skip from this album. Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, well, it's easy to skip because it's the last song from side A. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if you're if you're playing it on vinyl, if you're playing on vinyl. Yes. Well, um, it's been a pleasure. Here we are. We've hit we've hit the hour mark. So thank you to. Um, the um, Kirsten and Nabila who are here listening and uh, we will probably be here in another two weeks time with a different album which we haven't chosen yet no we haven't chosen the next one um, I think we'll announce it on Instagram yes so, so if you haven't I think it would be great if you followed us on Instagram and do you want to give the news about the podcast just before we go yes um, so we're making recordings of these episodes and now we have published them on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts or whatever it is that you listen to podcasts from. So, so yeah, so go and have a listen um, if, you, if you haven't. And, and, yeah. So thank you very much, Neil. It's been great. Thank you very much. And I'll see you again soon. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.